Hey, it's Vicki Smith. Welcome to Power to the Pleasers podcast. Want to start doing things on your terms and finally feel confident just being yourself in relationships? Well, you've landed in the right place. Here we break down your people-pleasing and perfectionistic patterns so you can move from being polite and doing it right to showing up, speaking up, and even laughing it up with people. Not sure it's possible? Well, stick around, friend. I'll show you how. y'all what is happening ha this topic is a little squirrely to talk about it is the topic of why it's hard for people pleasers to ask for help i don't often like broaching this subject with my clients because it feels like this is i don't know sort of like step seven in a 10-step process or something it's it feels like asking for help should only be addressed after we first figure out who we are and what we want and we kind of move through some of those first hoops of anything that makes us afraid of stepping out, speaking up, being seen. And boy, does asking for help mean that you are stepping out, speaking up and being seen. But it's important and it's something to spend some time with because it's one of the things that pleasers and perfectionists really don't consider doing until it's too late, kind of like until they're burned out. Here's how I see this. I really experience people pleasers and perfectionists as being self-sufficient. And I think this happens because we've adapted to not having people see us and consider our needs. So while that might sound sad, I think if you pulled a bunch of pleasers, you would see that they're pretty self-reliant. And this comes from early experiences in our families. Let's say that both of your parents worked outside of the house. And let's just pause for a second and give a little chin tip and recognition. What's up, Gen Xers? We are the original latchkey kids. (laughs) Okay. Um, After that shout out, let's go back to thinking about what kind of family environment you grew up in. So your parents could have been gone, like of no fault of their own. They just were out working, providing, and you had to figure things out on your own. So you really couldn't ask somebody to get um, a can of soup down from the cabinet. You had to pull over a chair and stand on it and get, get it down yourself. So whether that sounds like that's really being self-reliant, I think those little examples of that really build up and we feel like, oh, I'll just take care of myself. I'm just an independent person. There are other family environments that could shape us to being self-sufficient or self-reliant. And let's say someone in your family was actively addicted to maybe alcohol or something like that. And that means that that person is pretty much not emotionally available to us. So we're not going to be able to ask them for things. Um, They're not going to be able to help out a lot. They're kind of consumed with the obsession and compulsion of their addiction. Let's say that somebody in your family, like a caregiver, just wasn't emotionally mature enough to know that they were the ones who were responsible for showing us 
that it was okay to ask for help, that it was okay to need somebody to give you a hug or help you get something down out of the cabinet or whatever. You know, maybe they just weren't emotionally mature enough to see that I am shaping this little human and I am teaching them about how to live in the world. And I want them to know that it's okay to get people to assist them with things. And um, I am the parent and I would like to assist my child (laughs) in becoming more capable of living in this world. So whatever the scenario was, we learned that if we needed something in any of those family environments, we might not get it. And it felt bad to not get what we needed. So we were quiet about what we needed. We might have also learned that if we needed something, we might get in trouble be called selfish or shamed for it. That kind of comes from that emotionally unavailable or emotionally immature parent where our needs as a kid are seen as putting the parents out, (laughs) making them do something that they don't want to do or don't have time to do, to just making sure that we could get things done on our own. We just made the decision like, unconsciously that we could figure things out and we would do it. And we've gotten stuck there, I think. So while I have to give ourselves props for being creative and resourceful and getting our needs met, you know, way, way to go, bravo for us. (laughs) We don't have reference points for how to ask for help and for it to be okay and for us to receive the help that we need. And we are freaking tired. People pleasers and perfectionists are tired of the self-sufficiency, the self-reliance, and the independence. You know, I think about the character in The Green Mile when he's talking to Tom Hanks after he's sucked out all the bad stuff from that prison guard that really didn't deserve to be helped, by the way, (laughs) if you remember the movie. But he says to Tom Hanks, I'm tired, boss, dog tired. And that is us, straight up. We are tired from not asking for help. So I remember earlier when I said that we don't know how to ask, and then we get in a place where it's almost too late to ask. So here is a great example of this. I was watching an episode of Queer Eye a while ago, and it was glaring, y'all, like so obvious the person that they were coming to help was way, way, way codependent. And please know that I'm not judging that because I get it, okay? But she was a poster child for codependency. And they were talking to her about her current situation, and she said something that really hit me. She said, but I like feeling needed. And I wanted to just pause the remote and scream because that sentence spoke to me so clearly, and for this reason, people pleasers, caretakers, those with codependency, we live with a mistaken belief that being needed equals feeling connected. Please repeat that. Okay, I will. People pleasers, caretakers, those of us with codependency, We live with the mistaken belief that being needed equals feeling connected. And I want to bust that mistaken belief 
right now. It is understandable that we would think this. We have given enough time and energy taking care of others that we feel they are now reliant on us and therefore must feel connected to us and us to them. But that's a little bit messed up, okay? (laughs) Is because people pleasers have a skewed view of relationships. Remember how I was talking about the family environments and how we adapted to them, okay? We often think that our relationships are conditional and tenuous, and this is coming straight from those early family experiences. We often think that our relationships are conditional and tenuous. If you're living with someone that's an active addiction, your relationship is conditional and tenuous. It's conditional on whether they have drank a lot or whether they are craving and they're irritable and it's tenuous. It, it feels like you never know where you're, you know, what person you're going to get that day, where you're going to land with them, if they're going to be in a good mood or not. It keeps us on our toes, but it's not, it is not a healthy environment for us. We do not need to have conditional and tenuous as two characteristics of living in a family. We need safety and consistency. So no wonder we have a skewed view of relationships. So just to be clear, As kids, we learned to do things that pleased important people in our lives, right? We had to do this to feel safe and close to them, to feel connected. But we really weren't connected, I'm sorry to say. And if we weren't kids, we would have seen that we weren't connected. We would have seen the inequality in the relationship and the conditional nature of the relationship. But because we relied on them to feed us and get us to school or whatever, we took what we could get and we thought we had to earn what we got and maybe a little more. Like, if I'm just getting crumbs, if I really want love, like a a hug, I'm going to need to bring home an A or something like that. Again, it was conditional. So you know as well as I do, there are so many variations of our childhood experiences. So I'm just really pulling out some ones that are pretty blatant that create people-pleasing and perfectionism characteristics in us. So whatever set us on this path of people-pleasing, you know, it's led us to the point where we don't think we're good enough unless we're taking care of other people. We have the skewed view of relationships where we think we need to earn or prove our worth so the other person will stick around. You know, I mean, really, that's where your people-pleasing and perfectionistic patterns begin, right there. So we focus on others. We do things to make people happy with us. We don't have needs. Ha ha, we do. But um, when we do, we just deal with them on our own. So I get it. I get what this woman meant when she said, but I like feeling needed. What she also meant was, I like feeling important. If I can do your laundry, cook your meals, drive you to school, do whatever you need, then I believe I'm ensuring a place of importance in your life. And she meant that she liked having the people in her family around her, that if they were around her, she was not alone. 
So watching the woman on Queer Eye was really difficult. I mean, I was tired just watching the episode. This lady really needed help. I mean, her situation was such, and she just wasn't going to be able to sustain that level of caretaking. She just wasn't. When they were talking to her, when the Queer Eye guys were talking to her, another thing that stood out for me was that she had no idea how exhausted she was. She had just overridden her needs for so long that she didn't even know that she had them. She just kept going. It, it almost became autopilot for her. But thank goodness someone stepped in and said, hey, we need five people to come out and overhaul your life. <laughs> I think it was her kids that did this. Because, you know, we can't get you to ease up on this and let us do stuff to help you. So this got me thinking about what we're scared will happen if we ask for help. So here are some stumbling blocks to asking for help. There's three. <laughs> no one likes to admit they need help because our culture makes it seem like if you need help, you're weak and capable and vulnerable. <laughs> I mean, it's so sad. This go, 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 make it happen against all odds mentality is so leading us into burnout town, I swear. But it's everywhere. So we just have to give it credit for being one small reason we aren't leaning towards admitting, you know, hey, I can't make this happen all by myself. You know, like we're just getting shoved down our throats that if we can't make it happen, there must be some deficiency in us. I still like to prove to my husband that I can carry heavy boxes. Like whenever we've moved houses or whatever, you know, we've gone to Ikea. I'm not sure why I think that like I'm doing this Herculean effort, you know, by carrying boxes and that that's going to impress him and why I still think I need to impress him. But I tell him often, you know, I just want to make sure I'm pulling my weight. So the first one is no one likes to admit they need help. Okay. Second one, this one is specific to people pleasers and perfectionists. We have no idea what we need. So why would we expect to first identify a need, then believe it's okay to reach out, and then three, actually say the words, hey, can you help me out with this? I hear this so often with clients. I don't know what I want or what I even like. So that's the beginning step to asking for help. That's why I was saying in the very beginning, I feel like asking for help is like kind of like a master level skill for a people pleaser. We have to figure out what we want and what we like. We have to work on that first and get really clear about it before we feel like we can even bust through that, you know, do it on your own. You're a badass mentality. So number three, we believe our needs are huge and we don't want to burden people. Extremely specific to people pleasers. I like to blame our parents for this because we got feedback from our caregivers, from people that were important to us, authority figures even, about things that we asked for. And sometimes that feedback was like, no, you can't do that. And it kind of shamed us or startled us or kind of confused us. Like, why wouldn't I just be able to ask if I could go to my friend's house 
to play, (laughs) you know? So we got feedback, whether it was subtle or overt, that the things that we were asking for were going to put someone else out. I remember asking for a bike. You know, I was a kid. I wanted a bike. Who, who doesn't want a bike when they're a kid? And I just remember my mom looking at me. And it was just a look. She could have had 14 other things on her mind. But she looked at me in this way that I interpreted it as, that is a big gift. Like, oh, oh, you really think that you can ask for a bike? And honestly, I didn't get a bike. It was, it was for Christmas. We celebrated Christmas. But I internalized that as you asked for too much. You, went a, you were expecting us to treat you, you know, super specially, and you didn't deserve it. And the fact that I didn't get a bike that holiday, just re, you know, kind of re-emphasize that to myself. And I don't remember asking for a bike again. I got a bike, but that was because I paid for it myself at a yard sale. (laughs) Hello. I was like seven, honestly. It was probably $5. I don't know. But like talk about self-sufficiency at an early age. My parents did not buy me the pink Huffy bike I wanted I'm sorry, it was the 70s, but I did. I wanted it. And that look from my mom, even though I have no idea if she meant it that way, landed in me like, you just asked for way too much, little girl. You need to be put in your place. So any feedback we get when we're in situations where we can't make sense of it, we can't ask for clarification, we start to believe our needs are huge and we will burden people and stress them out if we ask for them. So, you know, as a pleaser, I'm trying to make you happy so that you'll like me, so that you'll think I'm an easy person to be around and you'll want to keep being around me. And if I try to shift that in any way and I see or hear that that isn't okay with you, nope, I'm done. Not going to do it anymore. I have caused you pain. That is the worst thing in the world I can do. I am selfish. That is the worst thing in the world to be. And there is a, a real potential that I will lose you because my brain, like your brain, goes to the worst case scenario. I've made you mad. You're going to cut me off forever. You know, I just came up with another one. that I think is one of the reasons it's hard to ask for help. What if we ask and the other person can't help us? Holy hell, please, no. (laughs) Now we've admitted we're in need and we're actually alone in that need again. I'm so glad this came up as I was just talking and I'm just going to riff on this for a second. But that is a bad feeling to have, right? Talk about feeling that awful feeling we had as kids. There it is. I have a need and I'm alone with it. I have to figure it out on my own. Okay, I don't know about you, but if I need something and I ask, like in the past few years, I have decided just to ask my husband for help, okay? So like if I'm on the way home from the grocery store and it's been an especially big trip and there are lots of bags and I just don't feel like making two trips 
up the stairs to get into the house, I will text him and I'll just say, hey, I'll be home in five minutes. Can you come out and help me take the you know groceries back in? So I've, in, I need, I've identified a need. I've decided he's a safe person to ask and I ask it. Now, if he doesn't answer my text, I think I feel that heaviness that I felt as a kid. Like, oh my God, it's all on me now to do this, even though it's just groceries and I know I'm capable. So yeah, that is a really old feeling. And that started before he was even close to being any part of my life. So it's not about him. It's about one of those times when I was younger and maybe not even as a kid, maybe just as a, a young adult. And I, I felt like pretty incapable as a young adult. And like, I just had to make it work no matter what, because there was no way I was going back home and admitting that I couldn't make it on my own after college. I think we have times like that a lot in life, right? Like where it's not easy to be young and figure things out and do adulting, but yet we do. Yeah, I kind of like number four. What if we ask for help and the other person can't help? We're kind of brought back to that little bit of fight or flight. Um, Like, oh crap, I need to figure out how to, like when I got out of college, like how to get a job and pay my rent and make sure my car runs and buy food for myself. You know, we're stretched. We're stretched in places like that. And so I think our nervous system remembers those times. It's kind of cataloging those times, those experiences and saying, please, let's not repeat this. It feels kind of bad to be in fight or flight. So even if it's something like just needing help with groceries, I think that can kind of get pinged inside and that that feeling comes about again. And it's sort of like, ugh, I'm feeling a little bit overly responsible or burdened and kind of alone with it. So I'll just not ask for help. <laughs> so I won't ever feel rejected <laughs> or burdened and alone. So those are the three plus one, four hurdles to asking for help and why it is so hard for people pleasers and perfectionists to ask for help. You know, I know this is just the tip of the iceberg and asking for help is kind of a master level skill, if you will, in people pleasing recovery. I know I'm going to have a lot more to talk about around people pleasing recovery in general. See if we can just put down that heavy load that we've been carrying and this belief that we shouldn't ask for help and ask for help. Reach out. I'm here. I am here to help you. And I actually enjoy helping you realize that it's okay for you to ask for help. All right, friends, this has been fun. I hope this has been helpful (laughs) and useful for you. And I can't wait to talk to you again soon. All right, peace out. Hey, did you know there are different types of people pleasers? Wait, what? No way. Yep. Just because we're good at blending in doesn't mean we can't have our own personal style doing it. If you're curious about your unique take on being the nicest person in the room, head on over to www.powertothepleasers.com backslash style. You'll get your quiz right away. Have fun. Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about me and how I work, please go to www.powertothepleasers.com. And if you want to get even more special attention, get on the mailing list. It's not fluff. It's not going to waste your time. 
It's always intentional and educational. So I'll see you there. Later. Later.